Hey there, and welcome back to the Clay on the Stage podcast. Who is super excited? I'm so happy to introduce today's guest, Stacey Shipman, to you. If you happen to listen to last week's episode with Donna Brooks, you're going to hear a lot of similarities in these two women's approaches and philosophies. And if you didn't listen to Donna, I would highly recommend going back and checking her out first and then listen to Stacey. And I think you'll be really interested in how the two sort of play off each other. They're almost like a part one and a part two, even though that wasn't how I really intended it. But when I... After I did the interviews, I said, wow, there's a, there's a lot of similarities here, but also so much to learn from each person. Let me introduce myself. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm like, oh, by the way, I'm Angela Lucier. <laughs> I'm your host. I'm also a speaker, author, and founder of the Speaking School for Women, which is an online training program for women who want to be pro speakers. And I also run the Speaker Sisterhood, a network of speaking clubs for women. And I'm going to talk about that much more in the next couple of weeks. Uh, If you're here, I should tell you the Claim the Stage podcast is a show for courageous women who want to follow their dreams by claiming their voice on stage. And I teach you how to do this through interviews with awesome people and some of my own advice. The Claim the Stage podcast is now sponsored by McNally Communications. You can say it better. They'll show you how at McNallyCommunications.com and also Name Net Worth, which is a networking consulting company that helps people improve their networking skills. And they developed an app that makes networking really easy. You can find them at NameNetWorth.com. Before we jump into today's interview, I did want to share another one of my spectacular stories from... Third grade. <laughs> I mentioned in last week's episode that my dad gave me a box of stuff from my childhood home. He had that up in the attic and it hadn't been unearthed since like, I don't know, 1988 or 89. And I just went through the box this weekend and found these great stories. And I thought, of course, everyone who listens to my podcast wants to hear these. <laughs> so I'm going to share another one. This one's called Dork's Dance with Christmas Cheer. And if you are sensitive to the word dork, uh, you're probably not going to like this story. And I guess at the time, this was a really big deal for me. All right, here goes nothing. My story begins a day before Christmas at a Christmas high school reunion with all my high school buddies, even the nerds, unfortunately. We were having a great time dancing to the music from way back when. Then Kyle, this major dork from school, walks up to me and says, hey, want to dance? There's a slow song coming up. It's called Moonshadow. Um, no thanks, I said, trying to sound polite. Somebody already asked me. Oh, who? questioned Kyle. Just someone, I replied. Well, bye, he said, yelling over the music. See you later, I shouted. No one actually asked me, but I didn't want to dance with that dork. He'd probably step all over my toes and make me fall ten minutes later. Kyle asked me again. He said that if I didn't dance with him, then he would spend Christmas being mopey. So with it being around the holidays and all, I decided that I should dance with him because I didn't want to let him down. I started dancing with Kyle and found out he wasn't such a bad dancer after all. He sure was a darn good dancer. The end. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I just had to share that. Anyway, (laughs) on today's episode, you're going to learn some awesome techniques and strategies to use on stage that will help you to interact with your audience. And Stacey Shipman is an expert on engagement and how to build an 
amazing conversation and experience for your audience so that it feels like you're you're kind of friends like everybody's sort of in this room together enjoying the experience and you're not just sitting in the audience feeling like who is this person and why are they saying these things and when is this going to end right no one wants to have an audience like that and I had the pleasure of sitting in Stacy's audience once and felt like wow she gets it I want to have her on the podcast so she can share her sparkle and her magic with all of my listeners. So without further ado, my interview with Stacy Shipman. On today's show, I'd like to welcome Stacy Shipman. Stacy is a brave communication expert and speaker committed to bringing out the best in people and their ideas. Experts and executives rely on her insights and strategies when they want to nail a presentation, improve client relationships, or grow as leaders. In addition, Stacy is the creator of the Courageous Heart Pendant and host of Brave Communicator TV. A yoga, hiking, and travel enthusiast, Stacy lives south of Boston with her husband, Michael, and their two cats, Habibi and Luli. Did I pronounce those correctly? You did. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Stacy. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Angela. Good to be here. So I have like a thousand questions for you, but okay. I think we, <laughs> we should start with a little bit of your background and how you got into this type of work, because I always love to know how people got to where they are today and what you love about what you do. So how did I get here? So with the communication work, I I actually wasn't always a brave communicator. I won the Quietest Girl Award in sixth grade, and I lived with what I call a head down, mouth shut mentality. So in, in school, I was the one in the back of the classroom who never said much. And then when I got into my corporate career, I would, you know, just sit, I was in market research, which is a pretty quiet profession. So I'd either just sit at my desk doing my work, or if I was invited to meetings, I literally sat with my head down so that nobody would ask me questions and I wouldn't have to share my ideas. And in 2006, I left market research to pursue my interest at the time for yoga and wellness. And all of a sudden I found that that quiet nature, that head down mentality was not going to work if I was trying to grow my own business. And I was having a really hard time finding clients, promoting myself and my work and really creating the impact that I wanted. So I was really frustrated one night and I was after dinner with my husband and I was like, where is all this fear coming from? And that one question sent me on this huge journey to really uncover why, you know, why I had so much trouble speaking up for myself and sharing my ideas and building relationships and things like that. And I took on different methods like yoga and meditation helped me kind of quiet some of those critics. I hired coaches. I joined Toastmasters as ways to boost my confidence and my communication skills. And I think most importantly, I started to say yes to opportunities that forced me to be seen and heard. And throughout all that, I I uncovered, you know, some of the fears I had, some of the reasons behind why I was so quiet and why I was afraid to speak up, and, uh, even as an adult. And then I learned how to fear less, speak up more and share my ideas more, and then act on all the, the different ideas that I had. And as I started to do that, people were starting to notice and asked me, hey, can you help me with my presentations or can you teach a presentation seminar? And it really threw me because, you know, who I would never think that my biggest struggle would actually be something people wanted me to teach them. But I found that 
that when I taught public speaking and presentation skills programs, I really loved it. And I think you know, what I've come to realize is that it's, it, it's really the fullest expression of me. It was my struggle and, and a struggle. I, you know, I'm, I'm constantly working on it. I don't think it's a, there's an end to that. Um, but because it was my struggle, I can, I can bring my whole self to it. And then from a professional standpoint, you know, I still use my yoga and meditation background to help people calm their nerves or, you know, use posturing activities to feel and appear more confident. And then my market research background comes in handy to help people create a message because I ask a lot of questions and I'm really good at pinpointing, you know, what's really important here so that we can hone in and, and create that clear, concise message. So it's what I love about it now is is one part selfish because it is the fullest expression of me. But more importantly, what I love is is helping people do something they didn't think they could do. And that is, you know, either speak in front of a group or confidently promote you know, what they're selling or, or have a client conversation. And, and when folks can actually do that and get results from it, I love it. That's awesome. Wow. Okay. Well, the interview is over. <laughs> that was amazing. I love your story so much and I can relate to like every single part of it. I'm just like, yes, yes, yes. I'm, I'm surprised I stayed quiet for that long. <laughs> um, I love that you're a brave communication expert. And then you tell us the story about getting an award for being the shyest person and how you had a failing business because you were afraid to speak up. And it was like that moment when you realized like, I need to do something about this, that you were able to make the change. And not to say that that was easy, but I think there's a belief out there that if you're an expert at communication, you were somehow born that way. <laughs> well, you know, when I do my competitive research, and maybe you do this too, because you're in the same industry, you know, I see a lot of, of um, bios that are like, you know, I grew up uh, on the stage and I love talking to people. And I'm like, that just wasn't me. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's dreams, but that I just never could put myself out there that easily. Mm-hmm. Well, so I want to talk about this interesting piece about authenticity and about being with your audience and trying to create a strong connection through a lot of different strategies. And I guess that's sort of the direction I want to go in with this talk or this conversation because you're so good at it. And I saw you speak at a conference about a month ago in the Boston area and I was sitting in the front row and the whole time I was like, she is so awesome. She's just like right here with us. And I feel like we're having a conversation and she's one of us and we're her friends and we're just like hanging out. And that's, I think like one of the best ways to build a connection with your audience is when they just feel like, you know, we're all here together and we're having a great time. So I want to ask you, you say it's important to see and be with your audience. What do you mean by that? You just said it. I mean, I see every presentation as an opportunity to have a conversation. And I, and, and I think this speaks to my, you know, my shy nature. I don't like to be like the guru on the stage. I'm very uncomfortable in that role. But what I like to do is share information and engage in conversation. Because I'm just as curious about you you know, just because I'm up there, if I'm the one speaking, I'm still more curious about you. I want to know what, you know, what your struggles are, what you're going through, what help you need. And I want to know what you're dealing with so that, so that I can give you, you know, the, the best of me, I guess, and the best of my knowledge. So even as you were just talking, like in my head, I'm like, well, what I'm curious about is what made you feel like I was engaging in a conversation, you know, like, so I'm just more curious about the audience. And I think it's important because, you know, at our core, I think 
everybody wants to be seen and heard. They want to know that they matter, that their ideas matter. And we, I believe that we all have knowledge. We all have some level of knowledge on a particular topic. And even when I'm the speaker, I truly believe that I can learn a lot from my audience as well. Because hmm. I, I don't think I know everything. I know I don't know everything. I know some things. Uh, and I love to hear the other perspectives. And so I really try to look at every presentation I give no matter how short or long or how many opportunities I have to be interactive with folks as a conversation, as an opportunity to learn, teach, challenge, and be with people. And I really do believe it's about connection and building trust so that people will uh, take in what you're saying and maybe want to continue the conversation. I love it. And I, I totally agree with everything you're saying, but I'm trying to put myself in the position of a new speaker who maybe hasn't done that yet. They've really just been presenting memorized bullet points and they're kind of in this place where they're realizing they probably need to build connection with the audience, but they don't know how. So I'm wondering what's the first step to, to go from presenting a monologue to creating an interactive experience for your audience? I think a super easy way is to ask questions. So even if, even if you're going to tell your story, um, and I'll use the example when you when you saw me about a month ago. I started off with like three scenarios and, and putting people in those scenarios. And it was something like, you know, how many of you have ever walked into a room full of strangers, you know, at a networking event, and all of a sudden felt like, oh, why did I come to this? I, you know, I hate inserting myself. I feel awkward talking to people. I think I'm just going to go to the ladies' room. Like I started by putting not with my story or my knowledge, but by putting the audience into a scenario and trying to get in their head. So that's one way to do it, is to you know take your topic and think about what people might be struggling with and help them get in that space so that you can take them on a journey. Um, the second one that's I think easy is I said question, ask a question. You know, and if I'm talking about public speaking, I might say, you know, how many of you love speaking in public? You get a show of hands. How many of you uh, love, uh, do it, but begrudgingly because you know it's good for your career, usually a few more hands go up, and then I always ask, you know, and how many of you are sitting in the back because you absolutely hate public speaking, you don't want anything to do with it, and that, that usually generates a chuckle because so many people have that. So asking questions can also be a way to connect because it's showing the audience like, hey, I, I want to know who you are, and it, and, you know, connect with you. How do you decide which, which questions to ask? What's that uh, process like? Um, <clears throat> that's been a lot of trial and error for me, to be honest. But I always think about the topic and the audience. And, and I also use it as an opportunity for humor. And in, uh, I mean, I, I'm not like a humor expert, but I do know that one formula for humor is, th is the um, rule of three. So in the example I just gave you, when I say, you know, how many of you love speaking in public? How many of you do it begrudgingly? And how many of you sit in the back? That third one is is based on generating chuckles because I know that there are people who are sitting in the back thinking that because I was that person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's like one of those unexpected things. But that took me a while to really come up with that. It was a trial and error and a practice and learn, you know, what worked and what didn't work. Um, I did a talk once for caregivers and I used the same strategy. It was, you know, how many of you are, are family caregivers? Uh, what was the second question? How many of you are professional caregivers? And then the third one, because it was a dinner and, you know, 
they were giving out raffle prizes and stuff. And the third question was, and how many of you are just here for the food and raffle prizes? And again, that generated a lot of laughter because nobody was expecting it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it's, it's about thinking about your audience, thinking about their issues. And then I think to add the humor is a little bit more advanced. So for a beginner, I would just say, think about that one question that you can ask, you know, how many of you get nervous speaking in public or how many of you have ever wondered what's next in my career? Um, or, you know, if you're like a stress management expert or something, it's like, how many of you feel stressed out at work and are at your wits end? Right. So it just, it's any of those simple questions to get people saying, yeah, that's me. And then move into what you're going to talk about. Yeah. And when you talk about, you know, being seen, by the speaker, that's a great way to do it. If the speaker is saying the exact words you're saying to yourself, you feel like, wow, she gets me. Like we're mm-hmm. on the same page. And that's a really nice way to open it. Now, I'm sure there's a wrong way to do this. <laughs> um, <laughs> what kind of mistakes do you see speakers make when it comes to engaging with their audience? Oh, one is that I hear this a lot when, uh, when I, cause I host events too. So I'm always looking at, you know, asking presenters, how do you make this interactive? And what I see a lot of is, well, I do a Q&A session. Q&A does not make for an, inter- that is not an interactive presentation. It's a Q&A. So if you think that you're going to engage your audience through Q&A, you might, I mean, they may interact, but you also run the risk that they won't ask questions. So Q&A is not an interactive, it does not make an interactive presentation. So that's definitely one mistake that I see people make. Hmm. Another mistake that I see people make is they've been introduced, they get up in front of a group, and then they reintroduce themselves. And no one cares because they are <laughs> they are here. <laughs> uh, that's like my kick butt with compassion uh, answer. But you want to you want to get right into the presentation with that question, with some activity. You know, sometimes I start my depending on how how much is going on in a day, you know, or in, a, in an event, if it's an event and I'm not the only speaker, I'll start by making people stand up and stretch and breathe and give them a chance to center and kind of move around a little bit so that they can refocus and sit back down, you know, for the main presentation. So not engaging from the get-go, I think, is a huge mistake. And, and trying to give – it's one thing to tell your story and let people know, hey, I get you. And it's another to talk about how great you are and what an expert you are. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So if someone wants to add more interaction into their their presentation, can you give a couple more examples of how to do this well, whether it's in the beginning or in the middle or at the end? You can do it anywhere, I think, but you have to really structure it. You have to think about the experience that you want to create. And I use that word very deliberately because I see a presentation as a conversation and as an experience. And like I said, sometimes I start mine right from the get-go. I have them stand. I have them breathe. I have them set an intention. Uh, Sometimes I do it. You know, if I'm talking about public speaking and say I only have 30 or 40 minutes, I'll go into – I'll do my spiel, and then towards the end, I'll ask for some audience volunteers to actually do on-the-spot coaching. So that's another thing that I do towards more towards the end of a presentation to really give people um, a sense of what can happen with simple tweaks. So that's a way to make it engaging. Um, if you know, 
folks are kind of in the wellness space, if you will. And say, for example, you're talking about how to meditate or how to relieve stress from your desk or something. Um, guide them through a meditation. Guide them through a simple breathing activity. Um, do some simple stretches with them you know, as you're talking about it so you can weave it in to the middle as an opportunity for folks. And that can be very powerful. I love it. Yeah. I remember during our session, you had a woman come up on stage and you did a little exercise with her. And it was so profound that when she got off stage, she had tears in her eyes and she was so excited. (laughs) I was like, wow. (laughs) I mean, that was profound for everybody to witness and for her to experience. So I, I think that's a really good example of being able to show your show what you're teaching, and then also create a good experience for everyone in the room. But what about this? And maybe I'm just like going way too deep here, but is there such thing as too much interaction? Like, how do you know if that's happening? <laughs> um, that's a, that's, that's a, a great and interesting question. I mean, I think I, t- I take a formula of talk a little bit and show, and then experience, I should say. So talk a little bit and experience something. So, uh, and it could be as short as, you know, breathing or maybe getting them to, to answer a couple of questions. But if it's a, unless it's marketed as a constant, you know, like a yoga class, right, for two hours, then chances are people are going to want some discussion, some teaching, and then some experience. And a good rule of thumb, I can't remember where I heard this, but to switch things up like every 15 to 20 minutes, especially for, uh, for learners, because they don't, they'll, you'll lose them. So if you think about switching things up every 20 minutes, maybe have a little conversation and learning and then the interaction, you should be okay. Okay. I, when I saw a presentation done a couple of weeks ago by a woman who was trying to teach uh, calories in versus calories out when exercising. And she mm-hmm. had five volunteers come up in front of the room and she had them each put post-its on their body, which I guess resembled calories. And then ca- they counted to 15. And while they were counting, they had to rip the post-its off. And it was like representing the calories going out of the body. And it was kind of cool, but it was also really confusing for the volunteers and the audience. And at the end, there were just post-its everywhere. And everyone was just kind of standing there going, did I do that right? And like, what was... <laughs> was that and and we kind of yeah. got it but i'm wondering do you think mm-hmm. that there's a kind of a rule in terms of how many steps you have to take in mm-hmm. order to <laughs> to show the example or do you think it's just something you have to practice and do in front of like practice audiences first well i mean if you, when i structure presentations i learned that i learned about the rule of 3 so i try to use the rule of 3 in all of my presentations. And that can be as broad as beginning, middle, end. <laughs> but then but then within that, you know, if you think about I try to keep it to three key points within a presentation. And then within that I might have one, two or three more key, you know, sub points to share. But I think that rule of three is really powerful. We we as audience members can kind of it's logical for us, it makes sense for us, it's easy to grasp because it's not too much. So if you're doing an activity that has steps, if there's a way for you to keep it into three steps max, especially if you're short on time or limited on time, I think that can be very helpful to think about as you're structuring an activity or the entire presentation. Yeah, that's great. So simple. 
So you, I want to switch gears a little bit because you say that research and preparation are an important element of delivering a great speech. How can presenters create engagement through their preparation and research? You mean, the, you mean before they even get in front of people? Yeah, because I think there's like maybe uh, um, a notion that when you get up on stage and you start you know, doing an audience interaction, that that's something you're just doing off the cuff and you're just kind of making it up. And, uh, mm-hmm. but, but that's something that presenters actually think about and they incorporate with meaning, right? Mm-hmm. I should, yes, most, most of the time. <laughs> I mean, I think an advanced presenter can read the crowd so well that if something's not working, they have tools in their back pocket that they might be able to shift and use instead. But for a, a, a newer person, I definitely recommend being really clear about what it is you're, you're offering. So I'm going to go back to like a mindfulness or meditation example, because that's easy for me to think about. But if you, you know, say you're a life coach, and you're teaching mindfulness for, for as part of your presentation, and you aren't a practitioner of it, and you've only read about it, you better become a practitioner of it. And you better do it yourself. And then bring an audience together behind the scenes, you know, as a practice audience to teach it and get feedback from people. So I think to, to be able to engage audiences live, you need to be able to, you have to practice that. And for me, when I do like breathing activities and coaching on the spot, coaching and posturing, I used to be a yoga teacher. So I have a lot of experience teaching postures and teaching breathing and teaching audiences who may not necessarily be open and receptive to it and and creating a space for them to be open and receptive to it Hmm. so it's really important to think about what you're teaching and recognize that some of it might be uncomfortable for people and how can you present that in a way that is comfortable so that they are open and giving them an opportunity to bow out if needed yeah and I've been an audience member where I felt uncomfortable and wasn't given that um, out, and I walked away with a negative impression uh, from my experience. And I've been a presenter where I've had people who are, you know, these programs, these stress management programs, they don't work. And like, what do you do when you have someone like yelling in your face? Oh. <laughs> you know, but, and I was green. I was brand new when that happened to me. And I finally looked at this person because he was disrupting the whole group. And I was like, you don't have to be here. You're free to leave if you want. And and I was really nervous because that could have really ended badly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what ended up happening was I gave him a choice. Mm-hmm. And what ended up happening was he, he uncrossed his arms. He stopped complaining. And when he walked out the door, he looked at me and said, that was the best stress management program I've ever been <laughs> Like, oh my God. So, you know, going back to what we said about, you know, seeing your audience, part of seeing them, it's not just engaging them from the beginning, it's being with them the whole time. It's noticing their body language. It's noticing if people are, you know, if their eyes are starting to close, it's, it's noticing, you know, hecklers and people who are not getting it and, and engaging with them and giving them, giving them choices. Mm-hmm. And that's easier to do in a smaller environment than, you know, if you're on a big, big stage, obviously. Yeah. I want to turn this around to to your practice. And I want to know what you do to prepare for a talk. What is the Stacy Shipman? <laughs> 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 What's that system? Oh, 
Um, I think about it a lot, first of all. So I run through a lot of different scenarios. I go for jogs and I get a lot of ideas and, um, and that helps me see scenarios in my mind and different stories that I might want to tell. And then I'll usually come back and I'll write them down. I'll write down whatever had come up during those moments of um, inspiration. Um, and then um, and then I practice. I, I practice at home by myself sometimes, my home office. I still go to Toastmasters, so I'll practice at in front of an audience and get some feedback. I'm very deliberate about what I ask them for in terms of feedback. And, um, and depending on... Um, the presentation, I still work with coaches as well to get, to give me some feedback, um, that goes beyond what, what someone at Toastmasters or, you know, my husband or cats can give me. (laughs) (laughs) So after you deliver the talk, do you then go home and make notes about what you felt worked really well or what fell flat and keep refining it? I do. Yes. Hmm. I learn from every single talk that I give and I walk away going, Oh, I should have done that. Oh, I could have done that. And I, I keep creating notes and I keep refining the presentations. I keep refining them. I don't think it'll ever be perfect. Is they are, um, I, I look at a presentation as a work of art. I think it's a real, it's a, it's a creative opportunity to put words together and deliver them verbally. So I, I think it's a living, it's a living thing. And once you give one speech, it should, it really should only be the first. Cause I think there's so much more you can do with it. The more you develop your skills, the more confident you feel about what you bring to the table, um, and how you can continue tweaking that presentation, mm-hmm. different stories, different activities, things like that. Yep. You also say that building trust is one of the most important ways a speaker can have a strong influence over the effectiveness of the presentation. Mm -hmm. How does a speaker build trust quickly? Are there a few techniques they can try? Uh, Yeah. So I think um, there are a couple of things. I mean, one is is to arrive early and, and meet and greet. Talk to people before you even get in front of them. Say hello, welcome them, give you find network. Right. So when I um, do presentations to larger groups, people sometimes are sitting at round tables and things like that. I'll go around to each table and introduce myself and say hello and and say, you know, I appreciate that you're spending time here tonight. And, you know, I I hope you enjoy yourself and things like that. So I don't spend a lot of time with them because I don't have a lot of time. But people really appreciate that. So that meet and greet opportunity beforehand can be really powerful. Um, the second one is, you know, I talked about asking those questions and, um, I think that's a a great way because it shows that you care about the audience, um, telling your story, you know, why you're the one to, to be talking about this. And the story has to have a struggle. If your story doesn't have a struggle that you've overcome, it's a lot harder to build trust because otherwise you just sound like you're awesome and nobody, (laughs) nobody necessarily buys that. So what was the struggle that you overcame that you're now excited to teach other people? We all have something. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those are two re- great ways to build trust uh, from the get-go. A third thing, which I think is a, has to be a thread throughout, and I'll give you an example of when I saw this go wrong, is to practice what you preach and and to be human about it. So I'll give you an example. I had... Um, I was at a networking event. They had a speaker talking about how to um, how to price your how to price your services or something something to that effect. 
It was geared towards the solo professional. And overall, the woman had great, great content. And one of her key themes throughout was uh, never discount your prices. Uh, when you're clear about your audience, they're not going to argue with you on price. They're going to pay because they're going to see the value. So it makes total sense. At the end of her presentation, she made a pitch to us for a new ebook or workbook that she had created. And she, she said, normally this goes for $99, but for you guys today, it's only 19. Oh no. <laughs> and I back in my chair and I looked around and I'm like, I can't be the only one that just noticed this. Yeah. Her whole, th- like you just got it, right? <laughs> like her whole theme was don't discount your price. Your audience is going to get it. So I was actually in charge of this organization at the time. So I went up to her afterwards and I was like, so I'm curious. <laughs> this was your theme throughout the presentation. And then at the end, you did this. Can you help me understand why? And her whole body language, like she just shrunk into herself. She crossed her arms. She bowed her head a little. And she said, well, I was told that this audience wouldn't pay the $99. And so if you are talking, if you have a message, stick to that message. Do not stray from it. That's an amazing story. All my trust. I would never buy from her again. And the only thing I remember about this person is that. Oh, that I'm cringing right now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I don't even know where to go from there. That is, oh yeah, that is such a great story to illustrate your point. Thank you. I want to hit on one more subject before we jump into our lightning round. Is in that yeah one thing about that though? I want to make sure people understand though that it means because I I go through this as as a someone who talks about public speaking. You know, I worry like, am I a good public speaker? Right to be talking about this, and you have to be a little bit ahead of your audience. So what I don't want people to think about from that from that story is that that you have to have it all down exactly or perfect there is no such thing but you do want to be a little ahead of your audience so that you can teach them what they need to know to travel on that path yeah and I think the other point of your story is to be consistent because if you're consistent then your audience will trust you if you're making one point and then doing another (laughs) it's like (laughs) wait what um So the last thing I want to talk about is that you say this, how the speaker shows up both emotionally and physically has a profound effect on the audience, on that conversation or experience, as you call it. How do speakers set themselves and the audience up for success by addressing these two areas? Because I know a lot of speakers come into the room feeling really nervous or like they're really sweaty and they're like, is everyone, can everyone see my pit stains? Like what's going on? You know, (laughs) heart beating out of my Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I call it dealing with yourself first and it has to happen behind the scenes. And that doesn't mean you can't show up to an event or a presentation nervous because I think that's very normal and I'm not a believer in fearless. I am a believer in fear less and, and it has to happen behind the scenes. There's a, a quote, Jill, Jill Bolt Taylor, who had a Ted talk. Um, she has a quote that says, Something like be responsible for the energy you bring into this space. And as a presenter, we set the tone for that space. So if you show up distracted and frazzled and overwhelmed by your nervous energy, you're going to bring that and your audience is going to pick that up. 
So behind the scenes, you have to figure out what what you can do to calm down in a hopefully healthy way, so that it's you know so that when you get in front of the audience, you can project the image that you want to project. Now, if you want to project a very high energy, you know, like Tony Robbins kind of image then you need to be really clear about that up front and let your audience know this is what you're going to get with me. Like, that's fine. Uh, if that's not your style and you're, and you're a different way, then you need to figure out who you are. And I think one of the biggest mistakes that, all of, that I've made as a presenter is to show up in a way I thought I should versus who I am. And, and I think that creates so much of the stress and the, and the nervousness that we feel because it, it's stressful to act like somebody else. Yeah. And I used to I used to show up to my presentations like kind of in a suit and like this jacket and I would walk away feel you know people would say oh great job and that was great but I always walked away feeling not that. I didn't feel great. I felt very stiff and buttoned up and and I don't like feeling that way. So mm-hmm. I I had to dig deep and figure out, you know, who am I and how do I want to show up? And I, one of my best presentations to date was right before the last words I said to myself were just go out there and have fun. And I did. And several years later, I saw some of the audience members, they remembered me and, and they told me how they remembered me. And they're like, Oh, I could never forget that presentation. It was so fun. Hmm. So I think, you know, you have to, you have to work on yourself behind the scenes. You have to figure out what, what's making you nervous, acknowledge it. That's the first thing, make it real because then you can do something about it. Figure out if all the nervousness and the stories you're telling yourself are true. And if they're not, then figure out how to tell yourself a new story. Uh, You need to think about how you want to be uh, remembered and how you want to present yourself when you're in front of people. And think about, you know, that from a place of who are you? You know, don't try to act like someone else. Just act like you you are at your best when you're kind of in a flow and you're not worried about anything. Who are you in that moment? And that takes some, you know, thinking and digging deep to, to figure out. And then I think the final piece is to, to see speaking as a gift. You know, once we get in front of an audience, it's not about us as speakers anymore. I really, really believe that it's a gift that we have. It's a gift of our presence because the audience has allowed us that opportunity where the hiring organization has allowed us that opportunity. And it's the gift of our knowledge and the ability to make someone's life better. And one of the biggest shifts for me with that, um, a few years ago I was giving a presentation on stress management and I kind of went in like, uh, you know, I don't know if people are going to like this. Is this a good presentation? Blah, blah, blah. But I always guided people through a 15-minute relaxation activity at the end of this and, and people loved it. And at the end of this one, I finished and concluded and folks were getting ready to leave. And one woman came up to me and she had tears in her eyes. And I was like, are you okay? And she said, I've lived with chronic pain my entire life. And for the 15 minutes that you guided us through that activity, I didn't have any pain. And when she said that to me, I was like, oh my gosh, I need to shift everything I think about getting up in front of a group because it's not about me anymore. Yeah. And that was like a huge a huge like weight lifted if you will because it's it was like i i'm i thought if i've got these tools i i am i obligated to share them and i do think when we have tools that can make someone's life better i do think we have an obligation to share them otherwise 
it's selfish to keep it to ourselves. And so that was a huge shift for me as a speaker to be able to see that, that the knowledge I have and the experiences that I've had can actually make someone's life better. And if I keep it to myself or I show up nervous and I'm not sharing it effectively, then I do a disservice to the audience. Yeah. So when you were talking about finding your style as a speaker, I think a lot of it comes from asking yourself those questions about where the nervousness comes from and, and what are your beliefs. But do you also think some of it comes from trial and error and just getting up on stage as a different person or showing up in a suit and then saying, um, yep. Maybe this isn't me. So there's a lot of getting out there and like just trying things, right? You, we learn by doing. So, you know, it's not about being perfect. It's about doing it and then taking those notes. What worked? What made me feel comfortable? Um, what re what seemed to really resonate with the audience? And, and you start to become more aware of all of this. I mean, when I started speaking almost 10 years ago, I didn't know any of this. And I just got up in front of people and I was like, oh, stress and this and um, what breathe and blah. <laughs> I, like, I, didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know anything. It was one of those things where, you know, I said my husband, I said to my husband, this woman wants me to teach stress management. What do I do? He's like, you just say yes. And I was like, okay. So here we go. <laughs> and, and I said yes. And, and the feedback I got from those first presentations was, well, Stacy, we could tell you're new. <laughs> and, and I wanted to crawl back under my quiet cave and never speak again. But but really, I what I needed to do was learn more. Yeah. And, and so, you know, what you do is, is helps people to learn a lot of the skills that a lot of us didn't have when we started. And so to make less mistakes. But I think we have to be willing to make mistakes as presenters. We have to be willing to hear negative feedback and to take that, you know, as we see fit to make improvements to who we are. And then I think once you, you do feel more comfortable with who you are, you get clearer on your message, you get clearer on the best audience for you, and you can then communicate that when you're negotiating with people for a speaking gig. I love it. Yes. All right, let's move on to the lightning round. We've got five quick questions with Stacey. Number one, what's the number one piece of advice you have for women who want to be well-known speakers? I say don't focus on being well-known, focus on the connection and on helping people. Nice. Number two, do you have a personal operating philosophy? And if so, what is it? Think less, accomplish more. Yes. Number three, what advice <laughs> would you give to your 25-year-old self? Trust and like yourself more. <laughs> yeah. Number four, what advice do you have for your 75-year-old self? Relax, lady. You did what you set out to do. <laughs> <laughs> Number five, if you had to pick one object to represent yourself, what would you pick? Well, the one thing that came up for me when, when you asked me this beforehand was, uh, it's not an object, but it's an animal. It's a tiger. Hmm. Why? <laughs> I've always been intrigued by tigers because they walk around and they're so, they appear so uh, graceful. And I think they have a lot of beauty. They're, they have a, a bigness about them. But then if you cross them, watch out. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds scary. Okay. All right. Um, well, lastly, what does it mean to you to claim the stage? I think to claim the stage means to be a brave communicator. It means to own your potential, your right to have a voice, and to have your ideas heard. Awesome. Anything you'd like to share with our audience, like any special offers or events? 
Um, sure. I mean, I have uh, I have an event coming up in January, January 21st. It's really about giving women tools to be more productive, more present, more focused in their work or career life. It's January 21st, and it's called Move, Breathe, Explore. And uh, folks can learn more about it at movebreatheexplore.com or on Facebook at Move, Breathe, Explore. There's an event page. Awesome. So is that the best place to find you on that website? Uh, that is my, that will take you to my website. My website, stacyshipman.com. Okay. And are you also on social media? I'm on LinkedIn, Stacy Shipman. Um, I do not have a business page on Facebook, but you can find me on Facebook and I'm on Instagram. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for this amazing interview today, Stacey. It was great to talk. I feel like we could probably have done this for like seven to 10 hours because there's so much to cover. So it's maybe we'll have to do a part topic. two. It's a huge topic. It really is. Yeah. So we'll have to do a part two in, in 2017. Sounds good. Thank thanks. you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. And there you have it, you guys. My interview with Stacey Shipman. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, if you did, please consider rating and reviewing my podcast on iTunes. It's super simple and it only takes a minute and your review will help more people to find the show. And one more thing, if you're not on my mailing list, you should definitely consider signing up because I, I, I put special offers in there, public speaking tips and updates I only share via email. I want to thank my sponsors once again, McNally Communications. You can find them at McNallyCommunications.com and Name Net Worth, a networking consulting company at NameNetWorth.com. Now, before I sign off, I want to share one quick story that I wrote when I was seven. <laughs> it is quick. Terry is sad because the antenna is broken. They are going to throw Terry in the dump. The end. All right, guys, that's it for me. As always, stop waiting, start creating. See you next time.